0: Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Real World, Real Food, Real Conversations podcast. I can't even say my own podcast today. Um, With me, Sophia DeSantis, and I am so excited to have you um, guys here today. This is episode 76, and we are going to be talking with um, a super amazing guest all about binge eating. And this is, I think, my first episode where I'm kind of bringing in um, a little bit of a different aspect to food and hearing the other side that you know perhaps we don't talk about a lot. I know when it comes to mental health, I've talked a lot about mental health, and I have talked um, a lot about how I feel like it needs to be talked about more. Um, make it more mainstream because I think part of the problem is that we don't talk about these things so I'm um, super excited to have coach John here today. welcome.
1: hey, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here and have these conversations
0: absolutely um before we jump in, why don't you tell everybody about you your amazing story um, i it, he is such a great story
1: yeah, so i have, I have a pretty varied background um, from being a nanotech researcher at university to a marine engineer in the Navy a uh, fourth-time entrepreneur with two failed businesses and a, and a globe-trotting English teacher among others but it was it was um during my travels around the world that i went from being an athlete to to morbidly obese um as a result of a trauma i suffered uh, 10 years ago while living in south africa and that kind of began my my journey of weight loss in in earnest and i would say that like prior to that because i'd been an athlete i would have thought that anyone who was overweight was just basically lazy or or undisciplined but you know after i found myself basically turning to to food as a coping mechanism, because I really had no, no tools to deal with my trauma. I, I found myself wading into this murky world of like weight loss and and diet culture and uh, a lot of com- competing and conflicting and misinformation. And I would say basically after uh, a lot of attempts, like failed attempts at losing weight and a lot of time and energy wasted, uh, trying to find answers in all the wrong places. Um, I finally started working with a coach who who shone a, a light on the glaring problem that was Like staring back at me, and really, that was my my relationship towards myself Um, because of my you know failed attempts to lose weight. I'd I'd kind of become very angry and spiteful towards myself and towards my body, and you know I'd I'd repeatedly tried to basically punish it into submission. And so he he worked with me to heal my relationship with myself, and and by extension, food. And I'd say that was like a, a seismic paradigm shift for me because. This idea that I could actually treat myself with with love and compassion and actually lose weight, and you know I would say it was so monumental that I realized I had to shift my approach in working and coaching with others as well because I saw so many people kind of like trapped in the struggles i I had experienced
0: I love that I mean it's so true that you know it, we have this idea that just because you're athletic at one point in your life that you're never going to change or you know yeah. like it's just this preconceived notion i feel like that you know like oh you know they're sporty they're athletic they'll never have a problem and it's it's not just about our our bodies and yeah of course our body changes as we age and whatever but there's so much more connected to that than just our bodies
1: yeah absolutely and you know one of the things that i struggled with was kind of like a loss of my identity and so yes. I'd, 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 ident- I'd identified as an athlete. i I'd identified as someone yes. who was fit, who was athletic, who stayed yes. active and that. And it was like for probably because people like how, wonder like how long sort of the, did it take to gain all the weight, so to speak. And it really took place over about a five to six month span. And I'll say it's absolutely like shocking or it was to me at that time, how rapidly it can happen and how much could happen. Um, and, and a lot of that time felt like I was kind of walking through a bit of a daze, um, just trying to uh, not feel what I felt really, because again, I didn't have any tools to deal with it. And so there was this huge sense of like, who, who am I now? Like now that I'm this like lumbering 328 pound morbidly obese guy who used to be a you know basketball volleyball player. I was quite lean and athletic. Like who, who am I now? And I, I just right. felt very lost.
0: That, and that's just like such a, a good point that it's like you identify with a certain with a certain body with a certain persona. And I mean, it's true. You know, we see this in so many other areas of life, like somebody like I was a teacher, and I, re- yeah. I was a teacher for 14 years. And then I quote, unquote, retired from teaching to stay home with my kids, because I didn't have much. I mean, I had a choice, but it was my husband traveled and I had two kids under the yeah. age of one. And my kids are 15 months apart, my first two, and yeah. so I, you know, it was the best thing for me, but then I identified as a working person, which is in the end, why I think I ended up starting my business. Cause I needed to find something else. Cause I, I was a new mom. Like I didn't yeah. identify as a mother yet. You know, it, it was this <laughs> lost, you know, it, it takes time. And I had a lot of stress on me cause I had two babies back to back and yeah. yeah, it's, it's rough. It's definitely your mind has so much to do with it. And people, I think especially people that are, you know, on the sporty side, like they like, don't see like, well, how they're, you know, I'd never let myself get that way. And it's like, well, you might,
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. I remember saying to my dad that I was never going to be fat. <laughs> I was like 16 years old at the time. And, you know, I was sort of at the just moving into sort of the peak of my, uh, my athleticism. i um, just really starting to discover what my body can physically do as like a male. And, just saying to him, yeah, I'm I'm never going to get fat because all I ever knew was it wasn't hard for me to be an athlete. It just yes. it kind of just came to me, and it's so interesting that that I started to adopt a new identity when I when I became extremely overweight, and that was one of the the jolly fat guy, where, and, and I also earned the nickname the carburetor, which is <laughs> it's and I came by that honestly, um, but uh, just I would start to act out this this type of guy, like that, that I didn't mind being this way, that I liked eating these huge volumes of food that, um, you know, I was the guy that would, if someone else was going to maybe throw some good food away, I was like, no, no, don't put it in the garbage. I'll, I'll eat that. I don't want it to go to waste, you know, or I'd say if it's going to go to waste, it should go to, should go to my waste. And I'd kind of try to make a a joke about it. But like Mm -hmm. on the inside, I was, I was suffering and and really in a lot of pain and, and discomfort, both emotionally and physically.
0: Well, and isn't that the point? I mean, that's like, I think we should take a little step aside here and say that like we all have different body types and, and being a larger person isn't a bad thing. If you feel good, if you feel good inside, if you're, you know, if you're where you want to be and where you're happy, it doesn't matter what size you are. But the bottom line is, is that if you do not feel well, if you feel terrible, if you you need to, you know, if you want to make a change that there is help and support to make that change. So our conversation is nothing about, you know, being, it's bad being a larger size. It's more about how you feel inside. And that is what you just said is the key.
1: Yeah. And yeah, thank you for, for clarifying that. I think that's also really, really important. Um, and because I, I do work with people who want to lose weight and, and, funnily enough I mean sometimes people feel ashamed of the desire to to lose weight but I think that if you want to do it for a healthy reason um, by all right. means because I, I like to try to explain to people like weight loss I say weight loss is a doorway it's not really a destination um, because the truth is let's say while most people, who would like to lose weight, lowering their body fat percentage is probably going to improve their, their physical quality of health, but it's never really about this number on the scale because that number is just a placeholder, um, for a future that we feel it will like, it'll enable us to live in, you know, where we feel comfortable as skin, we can wear anything and feel great. We don't get out of breath when we want to hike or, you know, getting down the floor to play with kids, that kind of stuff. And so, um, if we can see it really as if this is the path we want to go down that it's really about giving us the opportunity to live life more fully but also i want to put in the caveat that like happiness doesn't lie in seeing a certain number on the scale right you you might feel a sense of accomplishment for a day or two but really I, I would say that happiness lies in in being able to live independently um on on our terms
0: right and you know the scale is just a number i mean i know we sit here this and say this over again but it truly is. I mean, no matter what size you are, the scale is just a number. I mean, I'm a very petite person, I am a little over five feet tall, and I've averaged my entire life 100 pounds, sometimes somewhere between 95 and 105. Other than being pregnant, obviously, and that is my range. And I'm, I'm oftentimes when I'm working out, I'm actually heavier than like scale wise. And I actually don't own a scale. But um, I know this just based on like doctor's appointments, when they make you step sure, on one yeah. and all that stuff. But I find myself like, you know, when I'm working out, and I'm actually like, I always work out. But when I'm working out harder, and I go through phases of like weights and whatever, and when I'm fit, and I'm toned, I actually weigh more. So it, 100% has, has nothing to do with the number. It's more like how you feel inside, because I definitely feel stronger yeah. and more confident when I'm doing those things.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it it like it's, it's just a data point. Um, yeah. and, but I think for many years, um, so we don't, many, many years, we've been sort of conditioned to see it as like a source of validation for, for yes. us. And uh, so I really encourage when I work with people, I really encourage them to adopt like a value centered mindset. Um, and that is, you know, you become clear on, on what is important to you as a human being. And, you know, if you are living in alignment with those values in your day-to-day life, that, um, that, that's what ultimately feels good. So being clear on what it is that you value, what's important to you. And then, and then, um, you know, for me, I say like integrity is a really important value. And, and that in itself is just me being, me understanding what, what matters to me and then living, living by those values. And it's not that we do this perfectly. We're, we're human beings. Um, right. But that's, and that maybe would be kind of like how I would define something like living in alignment.
0: Yeah. And it's true. I mean, ultimately we all just want to be happy. That's kind of all of our end goals, you know, and, um, happy, happiness comes from feeling good inside and out and whatever that takes to truly, you know, feel good and being honest with your, with yourself about it, because, yeah. you know, it, you may be looking at, you know, your favorite Instagram, you know, influencer or whatever, and want to look like that person And strive to look like that person and starve yourself and you're not eating that cookie when you want it and you're not enjoying that ice cream with your kids and you're not going out to pizza and eating pizza with your family you're eating the salad instead and and you're disconnecting and you may end up looking like that but inside you're not happy and so ultimately it's what makes you feel happy.
1: You can't see it, um, but I'm I'm sitting here smiling and nodding as you're as as you're sharing that and just saying yeah. Um, so I used to be involved in the supplement industry, and uh, so I ran a nutrition and supplement store. Um, and in in that world, there's a lot of like physique and sort of bodybuilding type competitors who yes. who try try to make a living off of their physical appearance. <clears throat> and what I can say is, um, they often came in looking like a million bucks, or what we you know and People would just about like I don't know they do something terrible to look like <laughs> they would, you know thinking that that's where happiness lie and these people would come in and they'd be so miserable and cranky and so self critical like hyper critical you know pursuing this like it's never enough and never lean enough and never strong enough never big enough never vascular enough never never enough and it's this this sort of endless pit and you know when I when I got into this this world of like nutrition coaching I was. You know, I was scared that I was going to be a failure because I didn't look like a fitness model. I, I, in fact, like I rarely use Instagram these days because uh, i um, not not because I'm uh, I have an issue with how I look, but uh, just because um, I'm, I'm not that visually creative. But I thought that I had to look like these people on on Instagram in order to be successful in what it was that I was doing. And, and so even for a period of time, I, I went back to sort of pursuing that style of eating. I dieted down, got to some visible ab definition, posted a photo of that, you know, got some validation. But ultimately, any clients that I got off of, off of sort of showing that version of myself uh, really didn't stay with me because it, it wasn't really who I was. It was me trying to be something I thought people wanted um, in order to try and demonstrate that I was capable of helping people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a lot to say on the online world. It's just a, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard. I mean, it's such. I have a very love hate relationship with it because I do love connecting with my audience on there, yeah. and I love Instagram stories and showing the behind the scenes of my real life because my food is pretty when I post it on my feed and when I post it on my website because that's my job. Yeah. But the reality is that's not what the food that we eat looks like. I mean, even after I photograph it, my kids tear into it. it looks like you know, <laughs> savages have yeah. attacked the attacked the food. So. I mean, it's such a love hate, but then, you know, emotionally for me, I mean, I find myself, especially in today's world, um, and everything happening that I mental health wise cannot be on there for too long because I get exposed to things that trigger me and we're all different. And for me, I'm realizing that I, I, I can't, I have to watch it. There's just, it's very hard. And I, I think that as time goes on, people are going to start realizing, and I really hope that there would be changes in it. But I, I don't know. I'm keeping my kids off of it as long as I can. That's for sure.
1: Oh yeah, and I've got a five month old, and I'm, I'm just, I'm so keenly aware of when I'm holding a phone in my hand and when he's in my presence. Yes. Um, you know, I, I have like fifteen hundred photos of him already, and <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause he's such a beautiful little boy, but at the same time, I really try to make a point of like putting my phone down and just being present with him in, in, in the real world. Um, because totally. I don't want him to grow up thinking that, that my, my phone is my world. Like I, I run an online business as well. And so I need to have a degree of connection and I, I'm right with you in that sort of love hate relationship. I joke that if I, if I didn't run an online business, um, I'd, I'd drop off of social media altogether. Um, I just, um, because I recognize sort of the, the slippery slope that it represents for so many, so many people.
0: Yeah, and totally.
1: I, I would say, you know, so I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand human behavior and trying to sort of make sense of what we see happening. And I'm inclined to say, and this is just my opinion, but I'm inclined to say that we, we probably li- live in a more like potentially emotionally and mentally stressful world than ever before, because of how frequently we can be exposed to to triggering things because the way that social media algorithm or, or even the digital media world works is it's more or less it's the attention economy. It's a pay per click model. What gets headlines gets pushed to the top, or what gets clicks gets pushed to the top. And so everything and stuff that's negative um, triggers us and draws our attention more than the stuff that's positive because it's this primal, hardwired survival mechanism. So all of this to say, in the digital world, we're going to be exposed to a much more overall negative perception of life and and reality. Um, yeah. then, then exists in the real physical human world.
0: Absolutely. Mm. I mean, it's one, well, like they say that, you know, the, the negative stuff sells It attracts people. There's something with, you know, with all that. And it actually is for me, it's been starting to be, um, I, I've been starting to be repulsed by it. So I, that's part of why I'm struggling being online right now in general, because I just, I just can't like, I'm Yeah. anyway, uh... um, So let's go into our topic about binge eating. And I, I want to start from the very beginning for people because people coming here, perhaps they're listening to this and, and maybe they don't even know that this is happening. Can you give us a definition of what binge eating is?
1: Yeah. So it's very much, um, an eating disorder. So eating that, um, is not what we would certainly normally see as human behavior. And what you'll see is kind of like episodes of uncontrolled eating in a very short window of time. But really to sort of to make a clinical, and, and that's not my position to do, I'm not a, a medical professional in that regard, but to make a clinical diagnosis, it's going to be a repeated pattern of behavior that's going to show up at least once a week for probably a few months consecutively. So yeah, episodes of uncontrolled eating in a very, very short window of time.
0: Awesome. And um, so uncontrolled eating, meaning what? Tell people what that means.
1: Yeah. So and maybe I could take one step back and say like, because there's a difference between like overeating, um, emotional eating and and binge eating. And, and binge eating is not entirely separate from like, could we say that binge eating, overeating? I don't want to put this, sorry. Uh, we overeat when we binge eat, but not all, all overeating is binge eating we emotionally eat when we binge eat, but not all emotional eating is is binge eating. So I hope I made that clear. Um, Binge eating, it falls more into the extreme end of overeating and emotional eating. That makes,
0: yes, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And so we might wonder, so what what drives this kind of behavior? And that's what really fascinates me is is understanding it. Um, And so some of the causes could be, for example, actually genetics and family history. That one's probably a, an, an often overlooked one. Um, it, and because it's not clearly understood, but there are some things that we're starting to understand that can be carried down through our genetic history. Um, but also just if we think about like having a parent who had a disordered relationship with food, um, that affects how we see it. Um, mental health definitely plays a role. Um, so depression, um, though. I will say that cause and effect isn't entirely established here. And, and, and each individual, it's going to be potentially slightly different, whether it's depression causing a binge eating or binge eating and so on um, low self-esteem, which is something I have struggled greatly with. Um, and then the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, stress and and anxiety. And and I started um, having panic episodes back in about 2016. And I, you know, at the time I didn't realize what it was that I was even experiencing, but uh, maybe I could say here's some signs that y- you might want to look out for um, in in yourself, or if you observe these behaviors in in somebody else. Um, things like eating in secret, um, hoarding food, whether it's you know in in you know personal cupboards or under your bed or things like that. Um, eating food when you're un- you're already like uncomfortably full, but feeling a compulsion to keep eating. Um, you might even see like a disorder eating pattern where uh, someone would eat or you would eat tiny meals in public. Um, but in secret, there's these these large eating episodes. And we'll also see like unhealthy emotional patterns. So it's, if someone's, let's say, a people pleaser, um, that very often means uh, suppressing your own emotions to try to keep others happy and avoid conflict. Um, if someone maybe would define themselves as like a, a control freak, everything is, they, they try to you know, I never liked that term, but some, you know, everything feels like tightly controlled and then this happens or getting trapped in like this all or nothing type mindset. Um, And these are also sort of some types of what we could call cognitive distortions. And that's like a thought pattern that just really creates this exaggerated view of reality in our head.
0: Yes. um, I, yes, I know a lot about cognitive distortions. Um, I've studied a little bit about that and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's when you, you know, you think something's happening, but it's really not. And that is very much tied to mental health, like anxiety and depression. You know, you think that someone is ignoring you because they're not texting you back. But in fact, if you were with them, you would see that they don't even have their phone, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and for me, um, and, and I can connect a lot of this back to the trauma that I suffered, uh, But, um, catastrophizing was a really common one for me. Like if I have a headache, I start worrying if I have a brain tumor, you know, like that's a giant leap. And yet my brain would sometimes make that leap. And, uh, that, that, that can be a frightening thing. And I will say that if you are experiencing this, like very much don't, don't suffer alone. There are professionals that can help you. And, uh, I, I really owe a lot of my, my stable mental health, um, to just some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful professionals, um, who, who helped me in my time of crisis when I was willing to be vulnerable and explain exactly where I was at. And I was able to do it and and gradually put sort of the shame and the guilt of what I was experiencing behind me and recognize I didn't actually choose this, um, but it was my present reality. And so I needed to get help. And so I really, I just want to say that to encourage people, if you are experiencing this, there, there is no shame in it. Nobody asks for this. Nobody chooses this.
0: Right. And there's no shame to talk about it. I mean, that's the thing is I think the problem is, is that we don't talk about this enough. Mm -hmm. And um, it's tough because I mean, we have, I definitely, my, my family, you know, we're very, um, which is why we don't believe it. I, I, my brand, my business is not, um, in the all or nothing plant-based world. Yeah, it is very yeah. plant forward. It is very, um, not a hundred percent because we're very anxiety ridden people. And we have this tendency, my oldest son has diagnosed anxiety. I mean, I have anxiety mm-hmm. and it's one of these things. It's like when, when you know where you are and you're okay And stable about this is where I am. This is who I am, and you don't feel like you know you have to put certain labels on yourself, or because you know that that's going to be negative for you. And if you're the type of person that does all or nothing and it works for you, good for you, do it. But the problem I have, you know, in the online space, especially, is when someone belittles somebody else for not doing something like they do, and it's like, well, we're all different, and just because you don't understand why um, anxiety in our family leads, like we can't say we're a hundred percent anything. It does not work for us. Mm -hmm. Um, even though fine, it would save more animals and fine. Maybe we'd, you know, be a little bit quote unquote healthier, but we wouldn't be mentally. And we matter too. So it's
1: absolutely. And maybe I could, I could just share a couple of, um, couple of examples here. Um, so I would sort of fall into the category of more like a, a restrictor, or an abstainer, okay. whereas my wife would fall into the category of what we might call like a moderator. Um, and we could say like I – let's say maybe I do better with fairly firm boundaries um, guiding my behavior, whereas my wife does a lot better with flexible boundaries. So we're kind of opposites. And so we have – do you know um lint chocolates like those – they're wrapped in oh, the yeah. red wrap? Yeah. They're, oh, yeah. They're, their creamy milk delicious. delicious yeah yeah well we have a store um not far from us a lint store and you could buy like 100 lint balls for 25 bucks and that's oh just dangerous <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right and so we did that last i want to say it was maybe last october and uh you know mine mine were gone by about mid-november so within a couple of weeks for my wife i bet if i was to go check her bedroom stash i'd still find some there almost a year later um And and what it is, is so for me, like uh, when it's there, it's often on my mind. Uh, Oh, I I really like that. I feel it sort of quote unquote calling my name. But for my wife, if it's not there, she wants it. But if it's there, she's like, okay, if I ever need it, I can have it. And so um, I kind of like to say like, just recognize what you're at. That being said, I also have to be mindful of the fact that I could um, take things to the extreme. And I think now I have, I've, I've cultivated really this sort of self-awareness to recognize when I'm moving in an unhealthy direction around this, this type of behavior.
0: And that's so, it's interesting you say it because you guys are so different. Like my husband and I are also very different. Like I, yeah. when I first met him, he, and he still sometimes does this and I have to, you know, we compliment each other and I help, you know, regulate him too. Um, and you know, he does the same for me in other areas, but when I first met him, he would just grab a bag of chips and just eat out of the bag. And I'm like, and (laughs) then, and then he'd be like, Oh, I'm so full. And I'm like, well, that's because you weren't focused. You weren't like in the moment when you were eating, you were just eating as a side thing and you weren't really necessarily hungry. You just kind of were eating without being cognitively aware of it. And so your body, you didn't listen to your body tell you I'm done. So you know, now it's like, take a handful, put it in a bowl or put it on a napkin and eat that. And then ask yourself if you need more or you want more. Um, yeah. whereas, and so for him, like I sometimes like buy, like, you know, cause I like to shop for the week and I hide them behind cereal boxes because if yeah. not like, you know, and it's the same for my kids and I have different shelves. I say, if it's on the main, if it's in the main pantry, the bag is open and it's easy for consumption. If it's up above, those are backups. Like you may not yeah. get something up above, until what's down below is done. Yeah. And, um, but for me, when I have something that I enjoy, I actually savor it. And so I'll eat a little bit. And I'm like a saver. Like, I don't want to finish it all, because (laughs) I like to have it like, you know, I I like to keep it for a long period of time. So I have stuff because I have to eat gluten free based on my own um, health reasons. And so I, I have my gluten free stuff that is pricey. It's a lot more expensive than like non gluten free stuff. So I put my stuff in the top shelf and I don't let anybody touch it. And I can have a box of gluten free cookies and they can last like a month. Whereas Absolutely, if I had yeah. it on the bottom shelf, oh my gosh, my family would like tear into that. I'd be done in a day.
1: <laughs> yeah. It used to, it used to drive me nuts. I'm um, watching my wife eat an ice cream cone because she seemed to have the ability to make it last forever. But what I, what I realized I, I was kind of being tortured by my own projection and my own sort of sense of guilt and shame around my, my eating behaviors, which were I, trying to make it disappear. Like I was caught in this, in this tension where it was like a part of me wanted to eat the food because I knew that that food kind of gave me a sense of enjoyment. But I felt guilty about eating it because I realized my behaviors were unhealthy and they were contributing to my obesity. And so what that translated into in, in real life was me like – eating food incredibly rapidly. And and that also drives like binge eating behavior, um, just eating as fast as possible to sort of get it out of the way and stop feeling the guilt around the fact that I, that I eat it. Um, and so yeah. I, I would say, and, and just cause we were t- touching on binge eating, like kind of, uh, feeling out of control around eating is like a really, like, like a hallmark symptom of, of, um, binge eating. For example, I would, uh, let's say, eat an entire pizza while sitting in a parking lot, you know, hoping that nobody's watching. I I'd be maybe three slices in there's five slices to go. I'd already be feeling kind of like, you know, full, but I'd feel compelled to keep eating it because I'd paid for it. I bought it. Um, and, and the eating, it was kind of push almost like metaphorically pushing down the shame and the guilt I felt for my eating behaviors. Um, but I would just like feel sick afterwards. So, um, yeah. And you've already touched on even a couple of strategies that I would kind of point towards in terms of if, if you find yourself falling into this pattern of behavior, um, what might you do to sort of help yourself uh, break free from an unhealthy eating pattern?
0: Um, yeah, go ahead. Let's share some strategies. Go for it.
1: And, and so the first thing I would say is um, if, if you find yourself doing this, um, don't beat yourself up. And it's easier said than done because we have a tendency to want to do this. Um, it's kind of, in in my case, it was like paying a penance for the crime. And I'd felt like I'd paid for the crime if I'd like mentally abused myself enough. And that sounds like a strong word to use. And I don't use that word lightly, but I was pretty, pretty cruel to myself in the privacy of my own head. Um, but I would say if that was going to work, it would have worked already and it doesn't. And so, um, one of the simple things you can do is actually to, to keep a a food diary, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be as simple as um, like taking photos of your food and just writing down a short one-line note about it. Because the thing is, is rarely are episodes of binge eating like just isolated or without cause. They're not. Um, there's very often going to be an emotional trigger, and it could have happened earlier in the day. It could have happened a day before, a few days before. Um, there's there's often we can almost like chain back and figure out the chain of events that led to this sort of thing happening. And so um, mindfulness um, like, and I call it compassionate awareness is really a powerful step to change because as you talk about like your husband eating a bag of chips, like a lot of that was happening on autopilot, the prefrontal cortex, yes. that's the front of our mind that was not really being engaged. It was really that primal sort of animal part of our brain. Um, the emotional part of our brain completely bypassing the logical part of our brain. So, um, bringing those behaviors into our conscious awareness, uh, becoming aware of when it's happening. Um, So simple things like um, I would say eat in a regular rhythm um, and that doesn't mean eat every two hours. It could mean eating every, you know, every four hours or even every six hours, whatever you're comfortable with. But ultimately having a relatively consistent rhythm of eating or pattern of eating um, can stabilize your blood sugar and mean you're less likely to experience um, spikes and crashes of that. Because even those can trigger a binge. Um, I call it putting like stop signs or roadblocks into your snacking. So you have a, you know, Costco sized bag of peanut M&Ms. Well, they're behind, like, they're buried in the bottom of the pantry, actually in a really inconvenient spot. So if I ever want to eat them, I have to think, I actually have to dig to get to them. And that gives me the, the space to think about, do I actually want this in the moment, you know? Um, and then I would say, consider removing trigger foods from your house for a period of time, if that's a necessary step. And there's no shame in that um, because I, I liken that to trying to run on a sprained ankle. It doesn't work. Let your ankle heal before you try to run on it. So um, there, there's a co- kind of a few of them. There, there's more that we could talk about, but there's a couple to, to get people started with.
0: Um, I like that. Um, I like those last two you just said that, you know, the roadblocks to the foods that um, you may binge on because You're right. It it when you have to work to find something, it does take that automatic out of it. Like, you know, whether it's if it's right next to you, it's easy to just like pick it up and not think about it. Whereas if you have to actually work to I have to walk over to this, I have to take this out. By the time you know, you think about that and you're like, "Mm, is it really worth it? Do I really want it that bad? You know, and that's that to me, like that happens to me sometimes. I'll be, you know, especially what with what I do and food photography and all that stuff like I'll have because I photograph so many delicious things when I my photo editing day when I'm editing I'll (laughs) be like oh that sounds good right now and then I think oh I actually have to get up I have to put this together Nah, I don't really want it I just sounded good
1: (laughs) yeah and um there see recognizing how our brain works is really important because there's how we wish our brain worked but there's how it actually works um and many of our behaviors happen at the subconscious or even unconscious level. Uh, we'd like to think that we're kind of in control and consciously choosing our behaviors, but that might be at best like half the time. And so shaping our environment in whatever way we can can definitely make it uh, easier. So it is simple things like don't put a big old bag of peanut M&Ms in the middle of your kitchen table or, or you know, don't put it at eye level in the pantry. Don't make it easy. Um, This is why grocery stores put chocolate bars at the checkout till. You know, mm-hmm. uh, of course.
0: Oh yeah, Walmart.
1: Walmart's like self checkout line is lined with all of these impulse purchases. Right, make it easy for people to grab them.
0: Yeah. So oh, totally. That's it, why yeah. when you go to and you'll know this when you're old when your kids are older. But that's why when you go to a ride at Disneyland, they make you exit through the gift shop because yeah when you're exiting through the gift shop like your kids just went on this amazing ride and they're like oh i want all the things associated and i literally when we leave rides at like at amusement parks we're like <laughs> blinders we're walking straight through
1: we're not stopping here to buy an overpriced stuffy like right, yeah right and so um I, I like to also give people like some uh what is it maybe cognitive tools as well so um like I put together a guide for, for people called crush your cravings. And if, you know, we can, we can share that with the audience if that's, if that's appropriate, but in there, yes. uh, and it's, it's kind of like I have four. That,
0: I have that in the, um, in the write-up, there will be a link to the free guide. So anybody oh, listening, um, it's, it's linked in there. You can grab that.
1: Yeah. And so one, one of the tools so I put four tools in there, but one of them I call fast. Um, so it's, it's called crush your cravings fast. And, and in short, it stands for feel, accept, acknowledge, speak, and time. And so, uh, really, it's like, what are you feeling in your body? Where are you feeling it? Getting clear on that. Um, accept, acknowledge is really about not not feeling a sense of guilt around this emotion or this desire or this urge appearing, um, because it didn't really appear of your conscious choosing. Um, speak is really just about trying to put words, whether written or or verbally out loud, trying to put words to what you're feeling. And then T, most importantly, is kind of recognizing that every or most emotional urges and impulses have a have a short lifespan. It, the way that it feels like it's going to ramp up to infinity and like your head might explode if you don't answer the call. But in truth, it's a lot more like the waves of the ocean. And so there's this term out there called surf the urge. And I say, if you can put 10 minutes of space between you and the impulse, um, you're very likely or you're a lot less likely to act on that.
0: Awesome. 10 minutes, huh? That's good to know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Most of them are really uh, about seven to eight minutes. And that's like really the kind of the peak intensity of, uh, of a craving, you know? Um, the other thing that would help is really like, so let's say you decide, okay, I want to put, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a craving for whatever it is, maybe chips. And you say, but I, I don't, I don't eat them. Don't, don't set a timer and sit on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 You know, go, go do something else. Go move. Uh, move is even if it's just like run up and down your stairs a couple of times just something to get blood circulating because that'll bring oxygen to your brain and make you feel more alert very often if we're engaged in sort of a sedentary type uh lifestyle or or working um life it's we're just looking for kind of a pick me up um I just need something and and eating uh junk food gives us a, our brain a surge of dopamine that's a pleasure yes. neurotransmitter it makes us feel a little bit temporarily energized but, um prior to the crash that will come afterwards. So you could simplify it by just for for me, I work from home. And so it's like, I'll run up and down my stairs a couple of times. And my wife knows exactly what I'm doing now. <laughs> you know, she's kind of just used to it. I have to do it quietly when the baby's sleeping, but, um, you know, activity just um, boosts mental and emotional health. And maybe the the other thing I'll share here is that you don't have to wait until like uh, a binge uh, strikes before you start thinking about taking action towards this, you can sort of preemptively set yourself up for success where you experience this less, less frequently, less intensity. Um, because I was, I was at one point a binge eating food addict and just out of control around food. Um, learning how to meditate was huge for me. And, you know, I think still out there, there's some idea, like meditation is definitely becoming more mainstream with apps like Headspace and Insight Timer and things like that, which is amazing. I love it. Um, yeah. Because I think there used to be this idea around meditation that it's, you know, maybe a Buddhist monk in a temple in the Himalayas humming or or something like that. And it's like, I
0: like to say, I like to say, I, I connect with you on the meditation thing because I I like to say, I used to think meditation was just for hippies.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Instead, like, so for me, it was one of the ways that I started to uh, make progress with my anxiety and panic disorder. Um, So learning how not to latch on to a thought and chase it down the rabbit hole and blow it up into this huge cognitive distortion. Um, And so really meditation is about having not not having like a blank mind, but having a quiet mind and a single focus. And so, you know, if you ever heard about like counting sheep at night to fall asleep, that's actually a type of meditation.
0: Oh, yeah. I have yeah. Um, I have quite a few episodes on meditation um, on this podcast, actually, Beautiful. because yeah. it's been a big change for me and helped so much for me and my anxiety for sure. And it's as simple as like I even, you know, in one of those episodes, I even gave the example. I read a book once that, um, you know, uh, being present in the moment um, is, is like meditating because you're you know, you're present in what you're doing or thinking yeah. versus, you know, it's it's not you know, you don't have to just sit there and not think about anything, you know, it could be that you're just focusing on, you know, something that's present and calming your mind on all the other things. And the example they gave in the book is like to practice, do it, start doing it every day when you brush your teeth. So many of us, when we brush our teeth are doing thinking and doing like trying to do a million other things, you know, like, so when you brush your teeth, literally just brush your teeth and think about be present in that brushing, you know, think about the movement, think about how it feels like that right there is meditation and being present. And it's such a simple concept, I love but it's, yeah. it's so true.
1: I think try, try brushing your teeth with your opposite hand. That'll, that'll bring you into the present.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> for
1: so, sure. Um, um,
0: those are all great. I love all that. I love all that. Um, and you said, so the fast is feel, accept, acknowledge, speak and, and, um, time. and time. Is that what you said? Okay. So three different things. Got it.
1: Yeah. And um, there, there's also like maybe a mindset shift that we can benefit from as well. So there can be a time where uh, like, and I'll use myself as an example, where I felt like a helpless victim, like that this had a control over me that, um, that I would never, never be able to escape from. And you know, this is easier said than done. Like I had, you know, something terrible happened to me and I wanted, you know, for a long time, I wanted to be a victim and kind of wallow in that. And so, um, I, and I'm trying to choose my words carefully here, but really for myself, this shift of um, deciding that I didn't want to be a victim anymore. Um, it didn't mean that I wasn't going to experience these episodes, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to, instead of like identifying as I am like a binge eater, it's like I experience um, episodes of this this is something that sort of temporarily comes into my life and leaves the urge to do it. And I, so I, I, began to separate my identity um, from like, I, you know, I saw, you know, I am anxiety to I experience anxiety. Um, and if you're able to, to kind of make that shift and, and step away from um, feeling like a helpless victim, you, you, there is power in that.
0: Uh, yeah, I love that. I love the whole identity thing. That's a such a great point that, you know, you are you, you know, you aren't necessarily the, the binging, the anxiety, it doesn't define you. It's just one yeah. part of something you might experience um, and deal with just like, you know, I, and, and the other example I'm going to give is that, you know, when, when you have kids, people say they take over your life. And I have always, um, even though I struggled really hard to have children, and it's like, the only thing I wanted for a really long time. I never went into motherhood as it defining me. I always yeah. made space for myself, and some people, you know, perhaps looked at me as selfish, and perhaps said I wasn't as good of a mom. But I always felt like, you know, from the very time we, you know, gave birth to my ch- our, our first child, my husband and I have always done date nights from the very beginning. He's always yeah. given me girls' weekends away. It's because we've, you know, I am a mother. That's part of who I am. But motherhood yeah. is not just what I am. So um, same thing. Like, it's just, it's such a great, um, really for anything, like it, it's such a great, the mindset shift of it, not defining you is such a great point.
1: Yeah. And I love that. And I really want to shine a light on what you, what you shared there. Um, you know, I remember my, my mom used to say to me, like, I'm your mother, not your servant. And, uh, you know, just made it, made it very clear that there's other things, um, yes. that, that, that she does. And, um, you talked about maybe feeling a sense of guilt around like putting yourself first and, Um, uh, that's like becoming a mother. Like I've now, you know, witnessed the process in real time in in my own marriage and and what a beautiful thing it is to see, but it, it is like the most selfless thing that you can do. You're, you're in a sense, sacrificing your body to bring this, this beautiful human being into the world. Um, but it's incredibly difficult and this human being comes into this world. So incredibly dependent on you, especially the mother. Yeah, And so, There are times where you can't put yourself at the top of the list, but it doesn't mean that you remove yourself from the list altogether.
0: No, totally. And I mean, I say this to my kids. I mean, there are times where my kids need me and I've had enough and I look at them and I say, I have done so much for you today. It is my time now. You go ask your dad or you figure it out yourself or you wait until I am ready. Because if I am not full, if I can't take care of myself, then I can't. And I've been to the point where I wasn't taking care of myself. I'm not sitting speaking on a high horse saying, I, I haven't been mm-hmm. there. I've been there and it doesn't work. Like it's a disaster. So, um, I just, and I, I also like, I have boys and I also want to set this example for my boys of, um, it's not just about you. It's not, it's, it's yeah. not always going to be just about you. And when you, one day, if you choose to marry a woman, um, it, it's not going to be, you cannot expect your wife to have it always be about other people. It's also about her. So, um, Absolutely. It's definitely, you know, that identity thing, like it's so important for our mental health overall in general. Um, and, you know, just just making sure you're taking care of yourself in so many ways. And that's the same with whatever, you know, you're feeling, the binge eating, the anxiety, whatever it is, is you're more than just that.
1: Yeah. And, and just to, to tuck one little thing in there, I would say, if, if you really struggle with practicing self-care um, don't try to create this giant leap where, you know, you're like, I'm going to take an entire day out of a week where I'm entirely exclusively, you know, I remember one of my coaches saying to me, um, take 10 minutes to be unapologetically yourself in the shower, for example. And she's like, fart, burp, you know, sing, whatever. It's just a, it's a short period of time in your day where you don't apologize for, for being you. Because like I'm at at my heart, like I'm an empath and I'm a coach and I work in a very relational style of coaching with people. And I give a lot of myself to help, uh, help other people create transformation in their lives. But, uh, I can't do that if all I'm doing is pouring from empty glass. And I have, I, I picture like when I hear that analogy, I picture like this golden, like chalice, like studded with jewels and filled with like a really fine wine. And you know i think if if all we're ever doing is just pouring into everybody else's cup and and just sipping on the dregs of ourselves at some point like everybody else is only getting the dregs of us too they're only getting the worst version of ourselves yet when we take the time to fill our cup even maybe to the point that there's some overflow we're now giving of uh, like our abundance for to use a cliche term are really giving of of the best of ourselves and so it's like other people don't lose when we fill our cup first they actually get the best version of us
0: right right and that's so true and you know, I, it's, that's funny you say like, you know, you even take a couple minutes a day. Well, you know, when we were all, you know, at home uh, at the very beginning of everything that had happened, like I was home with running a business, three kids at school. My husband was working for home and this was a huge change for all of us because my husband used to travel every week. So, um, I was, you know, uh, a little bit, just too many people for me <laughs> at yeah. one time. So I would actually... Every single day, um, we have a backyard um, with a pool and like an outdoor kind of living area with a fireplace. And I would go outside with my glass of wine and sometimes nothing, sometimes a book. And I would sit out there for probably 30 minutes. And the the rule was, you cannot come outside. Like I needed (laughs) to decompress and I needed that time to just decompress and be away from humans, like all humans. I don't care what humans they were. And so... It's it doesn't have to be like you said, you know, self-care does not have to look like um, spending $400 at a day spa. Like it could just be um, taking a shower without children watching you, like going to the bathroom without children watching you. And you will learn this as yours gets older. (laughs) It's like they follow you around. (laughs) And like literally, I'll be going to the bathroom and my little one will be like following me, asking me a question. I was like, dude, look at me. Mommy's going to go potty you wait here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's you know, yeah. But I, I also think about like the behaviors that you're modeling for, for your boys as well. Like how right. like, powerful that, that is. And, you know, I'm so keenly aware already because of my, my interest in psychology and behavioral psychology, uh, you know, um, of, of what my son is going to see and witness. And I want him to, to see me sometimes like being in the same room as him, but not necessarily always having to be in his face, interacting with him. Like, right. And and I have to consciously make that choice because he's, he's just got this beautiful cherub, you know, chubby little baby face. That's uh, just kissable cheeks. And so all I want to do is blow raspberries in his tummy and kiss his cheeks. Um, But really taking a step back and saying, it's okay for him to have like little bits of time by himself where he's just preoccupied with whatever toy he's holding or things like that. So letting him start at an early age, kind of developing that behavior. Um, And it is, I will say, look, it's easier being the dad than the mom at this point in time, um, because there's just times where dad doesn't cut it anyways. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's, that's absolutely natural. But I also try to build in, we call them baby breaks where, where I take our son for a period of time. And so my wife can, I don't know, maybe grab a nap or something like that. Just, just do something where and it's, you know, in the beginning, it's, we can't really get very far, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes kind of thing. Um, but not so long ago, we actually did like an hour and a half. She went shopping with a, a really good friend of hers um, and just got treated. And uh, so I thought it was really, really important to, to establish that as well. So just modeling this for for our kids. Well, our one son, totally. hopefully more down the road. <laughs>
0: Well, and it's modeling these behaviors, you know, it's a, it's very connected to these later, you know, these things that happen later in life, like binge eating, um, all disordered eating, because, you know, when you're modeling those behaviors and your child is seeing that, the independence is so important for kids. And, you know, my three kids, like I, whether I was home or, you know, working or whatever it is, like it, making, letting kids play by themselves and explore is so important for their independence. And I will tell you that I, that is something I did, very I was very strict and good about that. And my three boys, they are now, they are very, they can be very independent. And awesome. they can yeah. spend time like, you know, and especially when you have a bigger family. You know, we've got three kids. Like yeah. you don't just there's many times where the focus cannot be on you and you have to figure it out. And and it's it's important because it helps your identity. Like it helps make you feel, you know, it helps you feel confident. Like there was a situation like where my son had a school project to do, and um he didn't have a partner to do it with like the his the friends that he wanted to partner with were either doing it like on you know with somebody else or um doing it with their family or whatever and and this school project was something that i didn't know a ton about and i it was a time in our my business where I was really busy my husband was traveling. And I looked at my son and the teacher said that this can very much be an independent project. And I looked at my son and I said, unfortunately, you have to do this on your own. This isn't my area of expertise. This isn't my area of expertise. And your father has gone. And I'm sorry that, you know, maybe some of your friends are getting help and, and, you know, you want yours to be fancy and whatever. Well, but it is what it is. And I will tell you that he did it by himself. Was it? It, absolutely amazing of course it wasn't because it's not going to be when you have an expert helping you or you're doing it as a nine-year-old kid <laughs> yeah,
1: but yeah.
0: I will say that he it what you know it, it definitely wasn't like the best project but he felt so proud and yeah, he was yeah. so proud that he did this on his own even though he yeah. fought through it at the beginning and the end result of him being proud um
1: yeah
0: was so important to me and so It's, you know, this type of independence, like it, it, it does contribute to, you know, feeling more secure in yourself, which does contribute to less of um, these, you know, different mental, you know, health disorders and things like that. Like it, it does help that situation.
1: Well, what you did there is you gave him an opportunity to experience um, the discomfort of uh, trying to do something that felt really big and daunting. Really the opportunity to sit with an uncomfortable emotion and work through it. Yeah, And that's how we cultivate resilience. Because the truth is that life isn't always going to be happiness. It's not always going to be joy. Life also includes sadness. It also includes loneliness. It includes these anger, like these difficult emotions. And if we could just recognize that there's not something wrong when we experience these difficult emotions, they are uncomfortable. But if we can, if we can treat them, I often talk about them like a check engine light on your dashboard, you know, that little yellow light comes on. It doesn't tell you exactly what's wrong, but it tells you that something needs your attention. And so rather than, say, turning to food to try to smother or bury the, the emotion or change the channel in your head, sitting with that emotion and being present with it and saying, what is it you're trying to tell me? Because most people, what they're doing is the equivalent of taking a piece of black electrical tape and putting it over the light on the dashboard. It doesn't, right. it, it doesn't actually solve the problem. And what it does do is it means that very likely when it comes up again in the future, the problem is going to be bigger. And, and ultimately that's what can lead to this spiral where it gets to feeling so big that, that like binge eating represents an escape from that. And so just this idea that it's okay to feel these difficult emotions is okay to be present with them. You don't always have to be quote unquote, okay. Right. Uh, the ability no, to sit totally. with difficult emotions really makes it a lot easier for us, uh, to not not necessarily to need to turn to food or other sort of vices to to cope so we can develop a bit of a resilience
0: yeah exactly um that's awesome well let's finish it out um by talking a little bit about um i because i think people may be asking themselves too like what is binge eating how is it connected to to weight loss and wanting to lose weight like where's that connection and um what you know because I know that people say like, well, you know, I'm looking to lose weight and then they fail and they say, oh, I just failed. I might as well binge. You know, how is there that yeah. connection there?
1: Well, uh, maybe I would, I would give an, an example again. Um, people who try to quit smoking um, will on average attempt six times before they are successful. And weight loss and, and binging is not entirely different. So we're trying to change a pattern of behavior here that's connected to powerful emotions as well as a powerful sense of identity there's going to be stumbles along the way, but uh, that doesn't mean you quit. Like, so people would ask how long did it take me to lose a hundred pounds? And I say six years. And it's not that it actually took six years to, to lose a hundred pounds. It's that I lost weight, gained it, lost it, gained it. And it took six years to get to the place where now I have a lifestyle that I can keep living that, that maintains that. And I don't say that to suggest that it will take anybody six years. In fact, I think if I had, if I had got the help I needed, if I had worked with a qualified professional early on in my journey, I probably could have saved myself a lot of a lot of struggle and really shortened the gap. Because really, like hiring or working with an expert is a lot about um, kind of just shortening the gap between where you are and where you'd like to get to. Um, and I treat it like two experts collaborating on a common problem so it's not that i'm an expert and somebody else is is like a dummy it's that we're two experts collaborating um, on a common problem that we'd, we'd like to work towards and solve and so um, i i said earlier that compassionate awareness is the first step to change so when these these episodes happen um just taking a moment even even if it's happening in right in the moment in a binge you know what's going on where am i at As we start to become aware of these things, we can start to... uh, Awareness is where we can create change. So it's in the conscious mind that we can create change. And the other side of the coin is we can also wire in new behaviors, new beliefs, new mindsets. And it again, begins with conscious awareness and uh, working with, I, I say again, working with a professional can really help to present or create different perspectives that we wouldn't see or think of ourselves. And because of that, that can help us to, to create a sense of change. And lastly, I would say, we can really only truly step into change when we feel safe with being vulnerable. So if we feel alone, our primal brain will tell us that it's not safe to change. We must stay trapped in these familiar patterns of behavior because it's the only way we can keep us safe. But when we have a connection to another human being who, who creates the space for us to be vulnerable, where it's safe to be vulnerable, um, that's where, again, we can we can create um, true change.
0: I love that. When you feel safe to be in being vulnerable, that's a, such a good point. Like it, it is. It's such a good point because you know, there's so many people that, that want to get help, but they are, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to feel vulnerable. They don't want people to know, um, even if it's a doctor, um, and yeah, until you're ready to take that step, it's really hard to, um, because if we could change it ourselves, we would have done it.
1: Already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so like, I, I run a program called lifestyle 180 and it's a 180 day program. And I see at, a, at its core, it's really th- three things. Yes, we address the science of metabolism, but we marry that with the psychology of behavior change and the compassion of human connection. And it's really about empowering each person to reverse engineer their own healthy lifestyle. And that's my goal whenever I work with somebody is uh, I don't want them to just follow a bunch of rules blindly or something like that. I want to give them timely information and show them how they can implement it in their lives so they feel empowered. And at the end of working with me, um, my goal is is that they might never have to, to diet again because they've already engineered their own healthy lifestyle that feels sustainable, realistic, and they can keep doing.
0: I love it. It was awesome. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It was so, so um, amazing, like such great tidbits and information. Um, really hope that anybody listening that um, needs the support will find this, you know, helpful and you know, give them the push to try and make that change. Um, but I just appreciate your time and sharing your story and, and being, you know, so open and vulnerable with us.
1: Yeah. And thank you. And thank you genuinely for the work that you do as well. Like in, even having this podcast, I know you do it to, to help other people. And, you know, very often um, we forget to say thank you to you for the work that you're doing as well. And I, I just love that you, you know, you create space for these conversations where we can share our experience and touch other lives. So I really appreciate that.
0: Well, oh, thank you so much. And you're so welcome. I, you know, really truly enjoy it. And, um, thanks to all my listeners that are actually, you know, here listening and following along. And if you really do like my podcast, I, um, really encourage you and would be so grateful if you could leave a rate and review on that purple podcast app, because the more rates and reviews I have, the more my podcast gets out there and the more I'm able to get amazing guests to give you guys information because ultimately it is about you. And that's why I do it all. So, um, Thanks, you know, everyone for being here and um, we'll chat again soon. Thanks, everybody.